This is Passport Two, People and Places, brought to you by Jules Verne, taking you around the world, sharing memories and introducing you to the people at the heart of everything we do. I'm Abby, and in this series, I'll be delving into past adventures, inside stories, future journeys, inspiring you to discover the wonders of the world. Hello listeners and welcome back to another episode of Passepartout People and Places brought to you by Jules Verne. I am sitting here today with Laura from Journey Latin America, one of the most fantastic companies for all things Latin America, knowledge, expertise and just all of your experiences together are fantastic so I'm really excited. So hi Laura. Hi Abby, thanks so much for inviting me today. It's great isn't it? So our listeners again might not know but Journey Latin America is part of the wider sort of dirtouristic travel family that Jules and are a part of. So we work quite closely together looking at new destinations. We often come to you for inspiration for some of our tours and vice versa. So it's exciting to have you on but would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and your relationship to travel? Yeah I'd love to. Um, so it all began, well, my mother's Brazilian so as a child I was travelling to Rio where the city that she was born um, for my school summer holidays. The first journey I did to Rio I was only seven years of age wow. um, and so imagine it for a seven-year-old what a spectacular destination to spend your six-week summer holiday. Um, and we'd go to Brazil every two to three years. And because of my speaking Portuguese, that led my path and journey to doing a degree in uh, in Spanish and Portuguese. And then I always knew I wanted to work in languages, um, but not actually knowing what I wanted to do. Would, would it be interpreting or translating? Uh, and I came across an advert in Journey Latin America um, asking for, they were recruiting for people to sell flights to the Brazilian community. So I thought, okay, well, I can, I can you know, do that, I suppose. I can set, book a flight. Um, and, and whilst I work out what I really want to do with my life, and then that's where I, you know, I've stayed for, for many years and I have had the most wonderful experiences traveling all over Latin America from Mexico all the way down to southern Chile and Argentina. Um, I've tra- worked as a tour leader, um, I've taken a number of, um, of educational trips out there, and uh, and so yeah, I feel very privileged to have you know uh, travelled the length and the breadth of the continent. It's a, it seems to be a bit of a theme on the podcast that everybody we talk to who works in either a customer facing role or a non customer facing role, but works in travel in general seems to say they have the best job in the world. And when I hear them describing their job, I say, oh gosh, you have the best job in the world. So to me, right now, you seem like you have the best job in the world. Without a doubt, without a doubt. It's absolutely phenomenal to be also working in an environment where everybody is passionate about that region. So... um you know, no matter who you're talking to, somebody in accounts or the post room or marketing, uh, everybody has that same shares that same passion, that love of Latin America, and I think that's what makes us just stay together um, in the company for so long. Yeah, I remember one of my first memories of meeting you and meeting your team was coming to your offices in London and you doing a presentation about who you were as Journey Latin America, and you were talking about all of the people in the office and where they'd been, and there was a big photo on the wall, and you'd pointed everybody out, and there was these wonderful Latin American names and you. Spanish names and Portuguese names and, and and then there was sort of one English man's name out of all of them and I remember just thinking gosh you you're not only passionate but you live and breathe Latin America and that's just 
I mean, it's just an asset to have as part of our travel family, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's when people come to us and they start speaking to us, they realise that we really have that specialist knowledge and that incredible um, expertise in the region that uh, you can ask us anything from um, food recommendations to where to go and spot a, a tiny little frog in Costa Rica. And we'll have that, all that information to hand. You really, truly are the experts. Let's take it back a little bit. What was your first memory of travelling? Was it when you went to Brazil or do you have a memory before that? We used to go on holiday to Portugal. So my mother being Brazilian and wanting us to and speaking Portuguese, Portugal seemed like the, the natural place to take the kids on holiday. So probably splashing about uh, in Cascais, which is a, a beach area very near to Lisbon, um, is probably my earliest memory of travelling. Oh, wow. What a first memory to have. Cascais is, is beautiful anyway. So would you say Lisbon and Porto was kind of where you sort of first have your memories of city travel as well? Uh, so I didn't, we never travelled to, to the north of Portugal, it was always around the south, so mainly Lisbon, um, Sintra, southern Portugal um, was our sort of our, the, the main family holiday. So between that and your mother being Brazilian, do you think that's where your flame for travel was lit and where you got that travel bug? I think it was through our travels going to Brazil. So the first year we travelled to Brazil, imagine uh, the age of seven travelling on a long haul flight. Uh, I think it's about 12, 13 hours. The the, air, the national airline Varig was um, the airline that took us over and it was very impressive. In those days, so we're talking about uh, 1984, 1985, they actually gave you a menu um, and they gave you proper cutlery. It was a, quite a, you know, I thought I was travelling in first class. Um, and then the second time I travelled to Brazil was I, I was nine and I travelled by ship, by cargo ship in fact. It took two weeks to get to Brazil and then two weeks back and that was a phenomenal experience, travelling across the Atlantic, seeing pods of dolphins, whales, um, that was extraordinary. But I also have family in the south of Brazil. Um, so in the 1980s, travelling inside Brazil was incredibly expensive. So we did everything by bus or coach. And they're great, you know, air conditioning, the seats would recline. Um, but travelling by, by aeroplane was very expensive. It was, in fact, uh, it was well known at the time that it was cheaper to fly to Miami and to have a holiday in America than to fly to the northeast of Brazil, for example. So travelling um, by road, it was really exciting. Even to go down to the south of Brazil to a little island called Florianopolis, we'd spend 19 hours was on the coach getting there and it was that already at that young age I was having all different types of um, experiences of travel not just you know to hopping over to Europe by plane so what was your favorite memory from that trip because I'm just imagining little nine-year-old Laura on a cargo ship <laughs> traveling the seas <laughs> so it was sort of giving me Christopher Columbus sort of vibes or something <laughs> but a nine-year-old Laura like and then like you said you know doing 16-hour bus journeys like the stuff yeah. you must have seen as a nine-year-old, which you probably maybe didn't necessarily appreciate as much when you were nine versus now. But we always like to say, don't we, when you're travelling, if you're travelling along a river or a coach and you're going through local villages, you see the country and the local life at its best. But yeah. to do those trips at nine and and how exciting like what was your favorite memory from that well from the crew from the it wasn't really a cruise it was the cargo ship so it was like literally it was you know all these men on the ship and it was just me my sister and my mum traveling we stayed in um uh, one of the captain's cabins um, and we would just like go out on deck be watching dolphins in the morning 
and then I'd have to practice my times tables in the afternoon. But my biggest memory was the when we were arriving into the port of Rio, and it was something like four o'clock in the morning, and I was I was obviously fast asleep, and my mum made me get up, and we went up on deck. And arriving into Guanabara Bay was an absolute sight to behold, seeing the Sugarloaf Mountain, Statue of Christ, the sun rising. Um, it was the most memorable experience um, or sight I can, uh, I, I will stay with me forever. Okay, so talking a bit more about the present then, um, very different to probably nine-year-old Laura's travel experiences, but you travel a lot now as a family, don't you? So you have two young children. Yes, that's right. Anthony and Carmen. So Anthony's 10, Carmen's eight. So how do you plan your travels now? Do your children get to experience Latin America in the same way that you did? Yes and no. So um, we, the last time we were in Brazil was in 2018. That was our last long-haul trip. Um, and so the Carmen and Anthony, they were, you know, they were very small at the time. Um, but we spent a lot of time planning the trip. And I think that's what I absolutely love doing. Even I, I never book anything last minute. It's always with researching the destinations, where we're going to go for dinner, what, um, you know, what, what the itinerary is going to be. Um, and that uh, that trip to Brazil was just absolutely phenomenal. They had an, a wonderful experience going to Rio, going to the colonial port town of Parachi, which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, um, these beautiful, pristine bays. And of course, that whole co coastline um, between Rio and Sao Paulo, um, it's covered with Atlantic um, coastal rainforest. So you have this sort of, it's almost, it looks like a Jurassic Park. Um, and it's really, really beautiful. And they absolutely have no idea how lucky they are. The, and the, the sea there, it's like a swimming pool. It's so calm, it's warm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and my husband is from Peru. And so his sisters joined us. They flew from Lima to Rio. And so we had a, a most amazing holiday. So they are extraordinarily lucky. They don't realise, of course, how lucky they are. I'm sure in, in many years to come, they will sit back and think, wow, what a childhood we had. But yes, you're right. They probably don't appreciate it as much when you're younger. But you are a very well-travelled family, aren't you? You get to do a lot of things. We are indeed, yes. So my husband uh, is from Lima uh, and two of his sisters still live there. And we, we travelled when Anthony was just a year old to Peru and we visited the north of Peru, a beach area called Mancora, where I'd love to take them. And I'm hoping that we may do this next year, um, is do a visit to Peru. So Taking them to the Andes has always been uh, a passion of ours, but we've always been slightly put off because of the altitude. Um, uh, not that we're too worried, you know, that, that, about, you know, being high up, but just because they're quite young and then they might get too tired because it involves a lot of, lot of walking around and then you have lots of different climates, you know. Uh, so um, so we think now at the age that they are, um, approaching 11, approaching 9, that they should, they'll really will appreciate um, visiting places like Cusco, the Sacred Valley and possibly Machu Picchu. That would be the icing on the cake. Um, and of course, I'm actually also considering, my husband hates creepy crawlies, but because you're so close to the Amazon from Cusco, um, I'm really trying to persuade and convince him that we should actually do a quick hop over to, to the, the Amazon basin for just a, a rain. Just a quick hop over. for a. Well, it is. If you think about um, visiting the Amazon in Brazil from Rio, it's about a five, six hour flight, usually via Brasilia. So it's a huge distance. You know, that's what flying for like from London to Moscow, something like that. So it's a huge way 
need to go um, when you're in Brazil uh, to visit the the rainforest. Whereas in Peru, you're just an hour's flight away from Cusco, so it's much more accessible, and you have exactly the same experiences: piranha fishing, um, going out doing night walks to listen to all the the creepy crawlies in the jungle. So yeah, I think that would be a wonderful experience for them. And as a child, what an amazing adventure to go on. As an adult, yeah. it's an amazing adventure, but especially to sort of instill that bug of travel and that adventure in your your little and so young. Yeah, just yeah, I think it's great. Yeah, no, I remember, I mean I've been to I, mean, I I feel embarrassed to say this, but I've been to the rainforest so many times now. I've been to the wetlands in in Pantanal, I've been to the Llanos in Colombia, to Costa Rica, uh, to Peru, uh, to the Amazon in Brazil, to the Amazon in Ecuador, um, and I never tire of it. It's absolutely the the beauty of being in the Amazon or any rainforest environment. It's so tranquil during the day, but it, at night that jungle comes alive and it's extraordinary. The amount of the, the level of, uh, of sounds of monkeys, howler monkeys that you hear is uh, is quite terrifying actually. <laughs> I can imagine. I remember in Costa Rica my first experience of a howler monkey and I think I was just on the edge of, of sort of the, the trees and I could hear that noise and yeah. I was thinking, what is that? Yeah. And then, yeah, I remember getting the guide over and thinking, are we okay? And it's it's a noise I don't think I'd ever forget, but definitely the first time you hear it, you're not sure what is going on. Well, they've been given the right name because they certainly do howl. And they, I think the reason they do that is because they're marking their territory. So they feel like there's another howler monkey tribe coming close by. They're sort of like saying, you know, you know, shove off. This is our this is our ground. But the 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 level of the sound, it's like it sounds like something out of a horror movie, something coming out to attack you. It's just extraordinary. And then you see them, and they actually look quite cute. Yeah, they're quite small as well. You think, how on earth do you make that sound? Yeah, I mean, I'm not tall, but I'm very loud. <laughs> but I've got nothing on a howler monkey at all. <laughs> So what's one of your favourite things, again, looking at the present, what is one of your favourite things at the moment to do when you're travelling? What do you kind of aim for when you're planning a trip that has to be your your must-tick thing to do? With children now, it has to include a beach. Uh, it has to be accessible to really you know good food. It doesn't have to be you know posh restaurant, but really n- nice food. Um, uh, a hotel with good facilities. Uh air conditioning yes so yeah there is a few things I think it it depends on the environment that we're going to is there one thing that you cannot travel out so for me it's my phone so I can take videos and photos and I know that's controversial because most people are like leave your phone at home Abby and just be in the moment but I love to watch the videos and see the photos and just kind of reminisce about being there but is there one thing that you as Laura cannot travel without I think we're so used to having technology. I think you're right. I think, you know, you'd feel like you'd be lost without your phone. But I will tell you something. When I, um, I about six or seven years ago, no, actually, it's probably a bit longer than that now, um, maybe 10 years ago, I travelled to Peru with my husband and we... We had a two-week trip in Peru uh, before I was going to Chile to meet a group because I was going to lead a tour through Chile and Argentina and then finish in Brazil. And when we arrived in Lima, the airline lost our luggage. 
And I thought, okay, don't panic. It'll just, they'll arrive the next day. So next day they call me up and they say, yeah, Señorita Rendeldon, we have your, we have your suitcase. I was like, great, great. We're, we're coming to your hotel. It's like, fantastic. It arrives. It's not my suitcase. And I'm on the phone to the airline day in, day out. Have you found my suitcase? No, we haven't found your suitcase. Don't worry, we'll send it to you when we find it. And so I had just basically, I had was in Peru for two weeks going to Cusco in the Andes and just buying bits and pieces as I went along. Then the two-week trip finished. I had to fly to Chile to meet the group. Still no luggage. Um, and I literally, and that, that was it. At that point, I knew I wasn't getting my luggage back. And so I had to travel to Patagonia, to Buenos Aires, to Rio. And each destination I went to, I bought things as I went along. And the group never knew. They never knew. They probably wondered, like, oh, Laura's got such a small bag. But from that trip, I learned that really you don't need anything. Apart from your passport and money, you really don't need anything. And you can pack super, super light. And just enjoy the moment and enjoy, and enjoy where you it. are. Absolutely, absolutely. The tendency is to overpack and now I always remember that experience of losing my lug and I think I really don't need five t-shirts five jumpers and there's more space then on your way home to bring souvenirs with you and support local businesses and local people by buying things in in the place you are and bring them back and then something tangible to show people when you're telling these amazing stories of your travels 100 percent You've been travelling, as we've said, for quite a long time. It's it's in your blood, really, isn't it? But do you think that has changed you as a person? Is there sort of one travel experience or one person or a group of people that you've met that have changed you after that experience of, of being with them? Yeah, I, uh, uh, an actual person I can't think of at the top of my head, but I think... Uh, just the, my experiences of traveling to Latin America has made me be really humble, meeting extraordinary different cultures um, in the Amazon jungle. Uh, just uh, I remember being in Guyana once and Guyana really is off the beaten track and remembering how, um, how thinking how do, on earth do these, these communities survive in the middle of nowhere with no technology, no shops. no. And uh, yeah, it, it just it makes me feel very humble and it makes me feel very privileged not only to have travelled to the places that I have um, but to really appreciate what we have at home here. Do you have like an ultimate travel experience from all of your travels where you that's you sit back and you think that's the moment that took my breath away or that's the moment where I had goosebumps and I'll remember that for the rest of my life or do lots of your experiences give you that? Lots of experiences. That's a really tough question because uh, I, just as you were saying that, I you know, 10 scenarios popped into my head. But one that does stick out. Um, and I, so I'm a bit of a romantic. So I have, I have to say it was on my honeymoon, which surprise, surprise, was Latin America. Shock, horror. <laughs> and uh, I suppose, yeah, it was. Uh, uh, and it's also it was my 30th, um, my 30th birthday. And we were in, on Easter Island on a beach, Anakena Beach, which is one of the only um, uh, beaches on the island that actually has the Moai, the statue heads overlooking the sea. And, uh, and the hotel that we were staying at, they prepared a surprise picnic. Um, and it was at sunset and we had this beautiful picnic overlooking the Pacific Ocean um, on my birthday. It was the finale to our honeymoon and it was absolutely stunning, absolutely stunning. And it was just a very, very romantic moment. That sounds romantic, wonderful and incredibly memorable. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so let's look to the future. Where is next on your bucket list? Where's your, you know, your next sort of 
bucket list destination trip? I think it's going to be Peru, um, purely just because we've got the family there. um, And the kids, they haven't seen Machu Picchu. And I think Machu Picchu has to be one of the most iconic destinations to see in Latin America. Uh, The the Inca Citadel, for those who don't know it, it's it's very well preserved. Um, It's shrouded in cloud forest. The setting is absolutely extraordinary. You know, the kids will feel like they're on their own little Indiana Jones um, adventure. Um, and, and actually, it's really easy to reach. I When I first visited Machu Picchu, I walked to the Inca Trail, which is a four-day trek and three days of camping, which I thought would be quite easy. No, it wasn't. It was, I mean... It, you need to be quite fit and you need to acclimatise. And uh, and those things I didn't, I wasn't probably as, as fit as I would like to have been. Um, but now it's very accessible by train. There are lots of wonderful different trains uh, going from the Sacred Valley from a place called Ollantay Tumble. You have different uh, levels of, of train, but they're all extremely comfortable serving gourmet cuisine. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so within an hour and a, uh, and a half of leaving by train, you're at the village of Aguas Calientes. And then you can take a 20 minute uh, bus ride, zipping up to the top of the mountain. And you just you're you're it's there before you. And actually, from my experiences of traveling to places like Angkor Wat in Asia, uh, you know, I, I always thought, oh, you know, Machu Picchu gets quite busy, it's quite crowded, but it does not get the same number of visitors. Um, it's, it's You really do feel like when you're walking around, you can have the place to yourself. Wow. You definitely, I would definitely be the person on the train. I don't think I could do the trek that you did. <laughs> Well, for those who want to do a little bit of a walk, so you don't have to do the four-day walk if you don't want to. You can do what's known as the mini Inca Trail. So you take the train to kilometre, a certain, I think it's 104, and then you disembark and then it's about a six-hour walk. But it's not it's not too bad. Quite a lot of steps, though. Sense of achievement, I suppose. I remember climbing Sigiriya Rock in Sri Lanka and actually having this huge pride in myself that I'd managed to do it. So I could imagine even if you did do the train part way to Machu Picchu and then did that six hour trek it, the, just the sense of achievement when you get to the top probably makes the, the view and the atmosphere even better yeah absolutely and and if you can't walk the Mini Inca Trail or you know for some reason you decide not to do it when you're at Machu Picchu there's the possibility to climb Huayna Picchu Mountain and Machu Picchu Mountain so those are two phenomenal relatively short hikes that you can do but you have these wonderful vistas um, uh, bird's eye vista looking at Machu Picchu below oh. Amazing. Laura, I want to go now. <laughs> Let's go, Abby. Let's go. <laughs> Let's we're, we're ending the podcast and hopping on a plane. <laughs> so one of the questions that I'm going to ask you uh, is, do you have a perfect travel companion in your mind? So this can be someone from the past, the present, the future, celebrity, non-celebrity. Is there someone other than your family that you can sit there and go, oh, I'd love to travel with them? That's got me stumped because I was actually going to say my husband, um, which is a bit, I know, cheesy. Um, but I, I just like, he's, you know, a fantastic companion. He makes me laugh. He's level-headed where I would be flapping all the time if something, you know, goes wrong with the itinerary or if, the, you know, for some reason we get stuck somewhere. He's sort of my voice of reason. He's very calm. Um, and he's also got a terribly good sense of direction, whereas mine is a dreadful... <laughs> Um, so he would be, yeah, he would be my my the top travel companion. So one of the things that we absolutely love at Jules Verne, and I know you also do at Journey in Latin America, is our local guides and our brand ambassadors. So we always say that the best person to learn from when you're in a destination is a guide who knows about that area and who is an amazing ambassador for that area. And you've done 
being, you know, you've done a lot of guiding for Journey Latin America, being an absolute expert and the best brand ambassador for that area of the world. So do you have any funny stories or moments that sort of stick in your mind from being a guide and not being a tourist? Yes, I do indeed. Um, one occasion that sticks out to mind was a, a tour that we used to run. It started in Santiago, the capital of Chile, and then it went south to northern Patagonia to the Lake District, to a region called Puerto Varas. And then we crossed the lakes uh, to Argentina and then up to Buenos Aires, Iguazu Falls and finished in Rio. So it was a beautiful, beautiful trip. Um, but it's all about the landscapes the culture, wonderful natural, uh, the natural gargantuan uh, waterfalls of Iguazu and also very cool cities. Um, and so when I first um, met the group in Santiago Airport and they just got off a, a, an Air France flight and they had been up all night and they were absolutely knackered and the first thing that they said to me was, and there was six of them that booked together, they said, we want to see cows. I said, sorry, we want to see Hereford cows. I was like, Sorry, I didn't, I didn't even know. I'm a city girl from London. I didn't even know that a Hereford cow existed. I was like, oh, but, you know, we can, we're going to go and see some fantastic volcanoes and then we're going to go and see a tango show in Buenos Aires. And they, all they wanted, and that was all great, but they were wanting to go to Patagonia to see cows and specifically Hereford cows. I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, you know I can tell you about steaks. I can tell you about uh, all sorts of um, beautiful walks to do in Patagonia. Like, where am I going to come up with these cows? So we took a flight that uh, the following day or two days later, and I just happened to be sitting next to a, well, a gentleman had taken my seat on the plane. Um, and it was the window seat. And I know that when you fly from Santiago down south to Patagonia, you always want to make sure you're sitting on the left-hand side and vice versa. So if you're going from Patagonia up to Santiago, you want to sit on the right-hand side. And that's because if, you're, if, you, when, if you sit on the right side of the plane, then you've got these wonderful views of the volcanoes. You sit on the wrong side of the plane and you're just looking at the Pacific Ocean. So I, I thought, you know what, I'm not going to do this journey very often. So I actually I said to the gentleman, I'm sorry, I think you're in my seat. And so he was like, oh, yeah, that's fine. So we swapped over. Um, and, uh, and then he started having a chat with me. I thought, oh, you know, I just want to switch off. I've got, you know, a, a, a full day ahead of me and I don't really fancy having a bit of a chit-chat. And then he started telling me that he was going down to, to Puerto Varas to visit his farm. And on this farm, he had... Hereford cows <laughs> and I couldn't believe my life. Suddenly I was very interested in this gentleman and hearing all about his farm and I said to him, so it was about an hour and a half or two hour um, long flight, so we, we got, got chatting. I said, you know what, I'm actually with a group of farmers and they have said to me that they just would love to see cows and he's like, yeah, absolutely. I'll have like my, I'll, I'll organise for uh, the pickup van to come and collect us at the airport. We'll, I'll take you to the farm. We'll spend the day there and that's what we did. And it was absolutely extraordinary. Everybody was up for it. It was something that wasn't planned in the itinerary. Um, they were super, super happy. They got to see their cows. They got to ride in tractors. Um, we had a massive barbecue. And that was just, yeah, that was brilliant. That was just something that, you know, I was incredibly lucky. But, you know, having those language skills enabled me to be able to organise the trip. And so, yeah, it was that was just phenomenal. An amazing, wonderful story, but also a true testament to having a guide and a guide who knows the area, who knows the local language and can really 
get the best out of your trip. I'm sure they went home and, and spoke about the, the many stories, the tango dancing, the beautiful food. But yeah, the Hereford cows is probably one of their favourite memories. <laughs> Definitely. And it sounds like one of yours. Yeah. <laughs> well, now I know what a Hereford cow is. <laughs> so last question, and I ask everybody on the podcast this, and I can often try and guess where someone's destination might be, but I'm not... I'm not going to guess with yours. I'm not sure. But where in the world has captured your heart the most and why has it captured your heart? Yeah. So I, Brazil, of course, Brazil and Peru are two destinations where I absolutely love because of my family roots uh, and ties. But actually, you know, if I was to choose a destination, I always thought if I could live anywhere in the world uh, that wasn't Brazil or Peru, it would be Mexico. I absolutely love Mexico. The culture is so vibrant, it's so diverse, the food is out of this world, and I love the beach. So they've got some of the most phenomenal white sand, pristine Caribbean beaches, um, and it's uh, they and they know how to party. They love their fiestas, um, and it's just got such a great vibe to it. Absolutely, yeah, 100% Mexico. wonderful laura thank you so much for joining me and talking all things latin america thank you abby we hope you've enjoyed the latest episode of Passport two people and places look out for our next episode where we'll be talking to more guests about the people and places that have inspired them the most we'd love to hear your feedback so please do get in touch thanks for listening 